Hello there, I'm Dan Wooten. I host Dan Wooten tonight on GB News every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm. But you can hear the fieriest moments, the best guests and agenda-setting debates at any time on my podcast, Uncancelled, with highlights from a show that promises no spin, no bias and no censorship. Buckle up. I'm delighted to say Christian for Hope is here tonight. Now, the first thing to say, Christopher, is it's interesting that no one else in the media wants to talk about vaccine damage. I presume you haven't been asked to appear on BBC News or Sky News or ITV News about this? Absolutely not, no, no. And indeed, indeed, in the debate a fortnight ago, my German debate, um, some people wanted to put that up on YouTube and YouTube have taken it down. Although the, although the minister said that the questions I was asking were really pertinent ones and she didn't disagree with any of the facts which I set out. So there's a vast amount of censorship about vaccine damage. We know that because what you've just said proves that. I guess some people would say that's because we've been involved in almost a war-like campaign to get people jabbed. But it's not right to cover up the side effects, is it? No, it isn't, and indeed, it's counterproductive because vaccine confidence is built by saying to people, your chances of the vaccine going wrong for you are minuscule. But if it does go wrong for you and you suffer severe loss or even death, then we, the state, will look after you because you've done the right thing. And that was the message that was delivered in the 1979 vaccine damage payments legislation. And it was, in a sense, repeated by the government when they adopted that payment scheme to apply to to the COVID vaccines. But as, as of today, not a single payout has been made and they've only just started processing claims. And all the questions I ask, they seem to be tremendous resistance from the government to recognise that there will be the need to compensate people who have done the right thing but have suffered as a result. I guess a lot of folk would say that nothing will compensate the family of Kim Lockwood. You know, a young mum, perfectly healthy, died as a result of the vaccine. What should her family be entitled to, in your view? Well, in in my view, um, the, the minimum under the damage... Payments Act should be um, £120,000 uprated for inflation, and that hasn't been done since 2007, which would make it about 175000 That's a drop in the ocean, frankly, um, but that is nevertheless what should be being paid out without the need to prove uh, fault or liability. Uh, but some of these cases, um, particularly, I mean, it's a sad thing, but for, for the the consequences for the, the loved ones of somebody who's died or who've been severely injured are, in, in any normal damages situation, they'd be paid out millions rather than um, tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds. So there's a big issue here for the government uh, because the government decided that they would indemnify the manufacturers mm. um, because the manufacturers didn't want to take that risk because the vaccines hadn't been uh, tested to the extent that most vaccines are. 
But the government took on, on that risk, but now it needs to face up to the consequences and recognise that there are people, a minority of people, but a, uh, nevertheless a significant minority of people who have suffered as a result. The government was in denial. They were saying that these vaccines were absolutely safe. But more recently, the uh, message has changed to being that they are safe for the majority. Mm. And I, my question is, well, what about those who are not in the majority? What's being done to help them? And we need that honesty, don't we? Because already last week, we're seeing Sajid Javid talking about a second booster, a fourth jab potentially being rolled out to the entire population. Now, that's when I start to think this doesn't make sense. I, I was prepared to be double jabbed, maybe even prepared to have a booster as part of a great national effort at some risk to myself as a relatively young man in order to get the chains off, to unshackle the country after two years of horrendous lockdowns, which I don't think ever should have been in place, but that's a whole other story. A second jab, a second booster, sorry, a, a fourth jab where there's no evidence that for someone like me who's recovered from COVID now twice, that that's going to do any good. Are, are you worried that the government's just getting itself in deeper trouble here when it comes to vaccine damage? I think so, because not only on the, on the damage front, but also on the effectiveness mm. front, because... A lot of people who've had the first booster, so-called, have actually suffered from COVID. Mm. And so, I did. <laughs> so, so, so the idea that this is effective um, is actually you know, for the fairies. Mm. It, it, may, it may help reduce the impact, uh, but it, it certainly mm. doesn't prevent it. And, but now we're going right down the age range, and we know that the consequences for of getting COVID for somebody of my age is much more severe potentially than it is for somebody of, of your age. And particularly when we talk about children, now, the balance of uh, advantage and disadvantage is completely different for, for, mm. for youngsters. Why are we putting all the pressure on getting those people vaccinated when actually, uh, if there is any benefit, it's probably going to be to the benefit of the older population, not for well, them. Of course, but, but the vaccine damage, which is obviously what your bill is about, is going to be much more acute in the younger age groups. Because if you look at the evidence regarding myocarditis, for example, the heart condition, mm -hmm. it disproportionately impacts young men, sort of 25 years and under. So that's why, when you've got Sajid Javid potentially talking about a rollout to the entire population, I just start to think they've lost the plot a bit because even the head of the JCVI, the chairman of the JCVI is saying, let's stop a nationwide rollout and start focusing on the vulnerable, which makes much more sense. Exactly. exactly. No, that, that, that's absolutely right. And I don't think that the Secretary of State and his team have got to come to terms with, with, with what's actually happening out there. And, and a colleague and I went and had a meeting with the Secretary of State last week um, on this subject. And frankly, it was a big disappointment because... It, what happened? Well, we had 10 minutes and um, he said that he would uh, look into this issue, that he would try and ensure that the questions I asked in my German debate received answers. Well, I should have had those answers already by now, but I haven't. Uh, and he was... Um, full of platitudes, frankly, uh, about how 
the, the most people have benefited from the vaccine. That's not in dispute. But actually, what we need to do is ensure that the people who haven't benefited from the vaccine, that they're looked after by the state because they did the right thing by the state and the state now needs to reciprocate. Do you have any idea of numbers yet? Well, we know that people, more than a thousand people have applied for mm. um, vaccine damage. We know that on the figures that at least 2,000 people have died shortly after receiving the vaccine. That's from the yellow cards. We know that upwards of half a million yellow cards have been issued. So when we talk about probably tens of thousands of people who have suffered severe damage as a result of this, I think that's the, the, the sort of ballpark figure we're in. And because I've been quite high profile on this, I've been recipient of a, a, a lot of these cases. But the question I asked to the Secretary of State is if coroner's courts have reported that somebody has died as a direct result of the COVID vaccine, why are we hanging around waiting before we pay out to their uh, loved ones um, who, who've left, been left behind? What else needs to be proved? Um, and the coroner's inquest doesn't reach a conclusion and, except on the strongest of medical evidence. And uh, you referred to one coroner's report. There was another one last, last Friday, I think, in, in Winchester. And there have been a whole series of cases. And a lot of these people have been in the prime of life, uh, mm. married with young children, breadwinners, with all the consequences that flow from that. And uh, the, the number of people in that age group who actually died from the from COVID-19 is, is relatively small. So mm. it's even more disastrous that there's a Absolutely. high proportion of people in that age group who are dying as a result of the vaccine. So Christopher Chope, please do keep me posted on this. It's a very important one. And we know the rest of the media are ignoring it, but, but we won't here on GB News. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you very much. Now it's time for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. More proof this weekend that our woke universities are spiralling out of control. Oxford University's Worcester College has been slammed for discrimination after it cancelled a Christian concert event in response to ill-founded complaints. The college, led by David Isaac, bowed to its snowflake students, who claimed they felt distressed by the event, despite an independent review finding that allegations of aggressive LGBT conversion therapy leafleting by attendees were totally unfounded. This comes after the shameful decision by the University of Nottingham to withdraw an honorary degree for the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities Chairman Dr Tony Sewell because his evidence conclusion that the UK was not institutionally racist did not toe the line the left wanted to promote. The university said it would be inappropriate to award the degree while Dr Sewell was, quote, at the centre of a political controversy. But human rights watchdogs have been urged to investigate the decision. While General Secretary of the Free Speech Union, Toby Young, is leading the challenge against both the university decisions, he joins me now. And Toby, I mean, this is evidence of this woke wave destroying our universities, right? Yes, it is. Um, I was quite surprised by the um, uh, apology that David Isaac, the provost of Worcester, issued when some student activists campaigned about the fact that a Christian group had booked some of the facilities in the college uh, last summer. Uh, the complaints were seemingly completely unfounded. 
um, Christian Concern, the group in question, uh, commissioned an independent inquiry led by a charity lawyer to find out if any of the allegations that were made um, against Christian Concern and the Wilberforce Academy, which was the educational uh, program they 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 booked into um, Worcester College, if they if they if they'd done any of the things that they were accused of, such as aggressively leafleting um, students and others at the college, and the, uh, the the person leading the inquiry found no evidence at all, and yet. On the basis of student allegations, David Isaac, the provost of the college, apologised to the students uh, for having booked uh, this or allowed this Christian group to use the college facilities uh, and vowed that uh, he would never rent the college facilities to this particular group again. Pretty shocking. So the Free Speech Union has written to David Isaac, and uh, who's incidentally a former chair of Stonewall, um, and asked him to apologise to uh, Christian Concern uh, and to say to them that he's perfectly happy for them to book the college facilities again this summer for their Wilberforce Academy. Good on you. The, the Tony Sewell situation, Toby, just blows my mind because that university has awarded honorary degrees to loads more Far, uh, far more controversial figures than Tony Sewell. I mean, what what did Tony Sewell do apart from say that Britain isn't a racist country? You're not We're wrong institutionally there, Dan. I mean, racist. The, that's right. Um, we looked at the. Uh, honorary degrees that have been awarded by Nottingham um, uh, down the years. And they include two former Labour Prime Ministers, um, Ed Balls. Um, they include... Uh, from the right party. <laughs> <laughs> former Prime Minister of Malaysia, who's currently serving time for fraud. Um, <laughs> a former Chinese ambassador to the UK who, did, who said that the, the, the story about uh, human rights make it up. in China was fake news. Um, uh, quite extraordinary. Um, and yet somehow Tony Sewell, because he dared to conclude that Britain wasn't institutionally racist, he's too controversial a figure to award an honorary degree to. So what the Free Speech Union has done is we've complained uh, not only to the Vice Chancellor of Nottingham, but we've also lodged a complaint with the Equality and Human Rights Commission, in which Good. we've accused uh, Nottingham of racial discrimination and asked the Equality and Human Rights Commission, the Human Rights Watchdog, to investigate Nottingham. We're not saying it was straight a straightforward example of racial discrimination. Why we think they've discriminated against Tony Seale, Dr. Seale, he has a doctorate from Nottingham, incidentally. Why we think they've discriminated against him is that they expected him as a black man, as a black intellectual, to have a correct progressive view about racism in Britain. And because he didn't come to the conclusion they expected him to come to as a black man, uh, they decided to withdraw their offer of an honorary degree. And we see this kind of policing of minorities all over the place, uh, minority ethnic people who don't hold the correct progressive opinions uh, about racism um, are penalised, are castigated as Uncle Tom figures, and are punished in a way that white people who deny, say, that Britain is institutionally racist aren't punished. So we think there's a real case here uh, that the Equality and Human Rights Commission should investigate. Absolutely. Keep up the great work, Toby Young. Keep those woke universities honest. It's a pleasure to have you on Uncancelled tonight. We'll speak again very soon. Neil Oliver, what, what do you make of this one? Well, I think uh, what Kemi Bednock is saying is, is absolutely right. Uh, history is, is nuanced. It's shades of grey. You know, what's happening uh, in, in Ukraine 
in, in the war there between Ukraine and Russia is shades of grey. Um, and, you know, I, I don't see, you know, a, any point in, re, in reporting, you know, black or white in, 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 in that contemporary story. And likewise with history, uh, I think the only thing we can do uh, is seek to report all sides. I, I don't think there's any doubting, as, as, as Kemi Bednoff says, there, there, there's good and bad in the, in the story of the, the British Empire. And I, I definitely don't think it's in anyone's uh, uh, benefit, I don't think it's to anyone's benefit uh, to portray the, the, the British Empire as just a, a 100% negative story, e even more pernicious. You know, it's, it's that idea of, of apportioning the, the blame for things that happened in the past onto people alive in the present. We've known for, you know, since the beginning of time that that, that application of 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 blame in that way is wrong. You know the the Bible Deuteronomy says, you know that that uh, you know that fathers shall not be put to death for the sins of the children. Children shall not be put to death for the sins of the fathers. That's that is the, that is the point, uh, and that we hear we hear in the present. I don't think I've always thought that it's not we're not entitled either to take pride in what was done by the people in the past, nor is it our responsibility to be ashamed on our own behalf of what was done in the past. We are alive in the present. Our, our, the only thing we can do is to seek as best we can to understand what happened in the past. And that is always shades of grey. And I think Kimmy Bednock is quite right. Uh, the, the, there were there were very bad things that happened uh, in the past in, in the in the realm of the British Empire, but there were also very good things that happened. There were positives and negatives, and it's absolutely appropriate that both sides of the story be told. And she's absolutely right that to 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 raise a, a part of the population as victims and and to feel that they are they, that they're. Uh, that they are only the victims of the past, I don't think is is serving the people alive in the present. Because, Neil, you have to admit, post-BLM and with this uh, woke wave taking over our universities and our entire education system, uh, the word colonialism, it's become a dirty word, really. N none of these woke folk associate anything positive with it. No, and, and that's that, that's obviously I, I, you can't. It, that is obviously wrong. You, you know, to paint it as being just only a just a uniformly black picture, just a just a negative picture, just that all that was done was bad, was deliberately bad. That the British Empire was always and only malign, is is simply a, an inaccurate picture. Uh, and it's also, I think, it's also conspicuous the way in which the only the only empire uh, that's that's being portrayed in this way is the British Empire. The, the British Empire is just one of many. Uh, there have been empires uh, bestriding parts of the planet, you know, for you know for five thousand years and more, uh, and and each one of them is a you know, is a story to be told of, of good and bad. And, and the way in which the, the British Empire is, is only portrayed 
in in negative terms, you know, seems completely inappropriate to me. You know, there was the there was the you know the, the Ottoman Empire, there was the Austro-Hungarian Empire, there was the, the there was the you know there was the Roman Empire. There, there have been empires you know since the beginning of civilization, uh, and for some reason, it's the British Empire and the British Empire alone. Uh, that is that is being you know denigrated and run down as as having on, as having been the only empire that had that you know that had that had sins and 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 black marks against its name, uh, and there's you know there, there's some kind of prejudice there as well. No, there really is. There really is. Neil Oliver, fascinating as ever. Thank you so much for being here this week. We'll speak next week. Thank that you, Dan. Is Neil Oliver host of Neil Oliver Live on GB News, 7 o'clock, Saturday night. Dan Wilson here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wilson tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. 